Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the Kansas Prevention Talks podcast. I'm Janelle, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Heather. Hello, everybody. We are a part of Wichita State University's Community Engagement Institute and the Kansas Prevention Collaborative. We are also joined by our fantastic producer, Michelle Edwards. We want to hear from you, so please send us your feedback or suggestions to kpcteam at wichita.edu. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. We have a wonderful interview today, but before we get to that, let's hear about our September's Prevention and Media. This month's Prevention and Media is The S Word. The S Word is a documentary from a suicide attempt survivor on a mission to find fellow survivors and document their stories of unguarded courage, insight, and humor. She discovers a national community rising to transform personal struggles into action. Visit www.theswordmovie.com to learn more and to watch the film. And now it's time to hear from our guest. But don't forget to stick around after the interview to hear this month's Coalition Spotlight. Our guest this month is Seth Dewey. Seth is a person in long-term recovery, as well as a passionate advocate for building recovery capital and furthering the adoption of harm reduction strategies and furthering the innovative approach of these strategies in rural America. Seth works for Reno County Health Department as the Substance Misuse Health Educator. He also serves on several board of directors in Reno County and on the Oxford House World Council, one of the recovery housing options that is listed by SAMHSA as having the best practices for recovery housing. Hey, Seth, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for letting me. Um, We are really excited to have you on. Um, We've been watching some different YouTube videos of what you've been doing in Reno County. Um, and just so everyone knows, Seth is the substance misuse health educator at the Reno County Health Department. And so Seth, we are curious, what led you into the work of, um, being an educator around substance misuse? Well, that is a story in itself. So I'm excited (laughs) to be able to tell it because I love telling stories. So, um, so uh, as you said, uh, I, I work in, in substance misuse education, and I got a lot of my education in that in uh, firsthand experience. I'm a person in long-term recovery, and what that looks like for me is I haven't used a mind-altering substance or a drink since July 23rd of 2017. So that's part of uh, my qualifications, and that's why I choose to introduce myself uh, like that in uh, in multiple settings. So when I first uh, started my journey of recovery, I was very heavily involved in recovery housing, uh, like Oxford houses. And um, it was a strange new thing to me. I found being around people with uh, similar struggles to be very empowering. Um, I found a lot of motivation from that, and I felt a sense of camaraderie that I hadn't felt before. And, um, and I also knew that previously, after I would get released from jail or, or a treatment facility, I would go back to the same environment that I was used to. And uh, the last time I was in jail, uh, a peer mentor that was working at the jail uh, told me about Oxford Houses. and so. I was like, well, 
I, I'm tired of going to jail and I'm tired of feeling like uh, crap all the time. Um, and I, I want to try something different. Um, and I didn't know if it would work. You know what I mean? And honestly, my only goal at the time was to just not go back to jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll be honest. My only goal was to not go back to jail. And I think that was important because some people knew that and they respected me enough to work with me with that goal. Right? Yeah. And, um, and that was empowering. And uh, it didn't take long, though, for me to uh, see that this was working for me. And so I wanted to tell other people about it. And me, I'm one of those people that if I got something to say, I'm, I'm not going to hide it back from anyone. So I started talking about it um, to a lot of people. I got a job at McDonald's that I hated at the time. <laughs> but within two weeks, I was uh, made a manager, yeah. right? And so I was like, oh, I'm doing this thing. This is working out for me. And uh, the next thing you know, I was involved in uh, leadership within my Oxford house. Uh, I was shortly after that uh, involved in chapter leadership with the uh, Oxford houses, a group of 10 in uh, Reno County. And then um, after that, I got involved in state leadership in Oxford houses. And then in uh, 2019, I was actually elected to the Oxford House uh, World Council, which yes. is a three-year term um, of 12 members uh, that serve uh, you know, making sure that the manuals are being adhered to and uh, looking into the best practices of our standardized uh, system of operations. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into that, which led into uh, working on their, uh, with various other community partners, um, including the recovery community, but also a project that Reno County had going on called the Reno County Drug Impact Task Force. And at that time, that was spearheaded um, by the health department. And so I, I, I met a few of them and uh, they invited me. And at first they said, come to the drug task force meeting. And I headed the other way. I was like, task force, that sounds scary. <laughs> like, no, thank you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going the other way. Um, and, but then they convinced me to come. The, the, the old, uh, uh, the previous sheriff, Sheriff uh, Randy Henderson, Mike Hill, who was the programs coordinator at the jail, wanted me involved. So I went and it was cool because they asked for my opinion on things mm -hmm. and uh, to the solutions to the problems. And uh, I continued to, to attend. And then in late, um, about fall of 20 or fall of 2019, um, I heard about a potential job opening at the health department. And I was like, man, I will never be able to work for the county with my <laughs> criminal history yeah. and um, things like that. And um, But with the way that everything else had gone in my process of recovery so far, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I've already achieved a lot of these other goals um, and life keeps getting better. So I might as well go for it. And uh, sure, enough, sure enough, I was hired. And um, I started January 6th of 2020. Uh, and so that's where, that's where it began. Yeah, that's awesome. I would have guessed that you had worked in your position for much longer. Because I think the first time we met was at the 2020 conference where you presented. Um, and I just kind of assumed 
that you had worked. How many um, stories? And I mean, how many successes (laughs) and how many things you've been involved in? It's like, my gosh, that seems like a lifetime of of activities already. And that's just a small period. (laughs) You know, but that's, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about this is, is it's an example of teamwork, right? Mm -hmm. It's an example of getting all the parties to the table. And when we have all the parties to the table, we start doing things a lot quicker with a lot more efficiency than we ever would have imagined possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to emphasize that you said when you were invited to the task force, um, they wanted to know your opinion and what you thought on things. And that is the key to any partnership. Yes. Um, and especially with lived experience. And before that, I want to mention like it was, oh, oh, and I have to share this experience. Um, sorry. Please but do. In, <laughs> in, uh, in, in 2018, I was part of, uh, at the time it was Communities That Care. They invited me to be on their coalition, right? And uh, Sandra at the time and Carla. And I tell you what, that was one of the first coalitions that I was invited to in my recovery. And I loved it because it was about prevention for, for youth and uh, youth leadership. And I was like, ooh, this is so neat. I wish I had this when I was a kid. And uh, they invited me to go to the CADCA conference in Washington, D.C. with them. Cool. And, and it was just the most amazing experience, right? And I was just like, there is no way that this is even real life, <laughs> you know? Um, but the bonds that I made with our community partners in that coalition, uh, and those youth were so instrumental to my own education, mm-hmm. to my own experience. And, and I think that was so, so neat how they wanted my opinion, even from a prevention standpoint. Yeah. I thought that was really unique. Mm-hmm. And just when you said that, Janelle, it made me go back to that story. So. Sorry, I, I, I have ADHD. That's okay. That's all right. I do want to um, ask you, in case anybody doesn't know what um, the Oxford House is, can you give just a brief um, kind of description of what that looks like? <laughs> yes, I would love to. In fact, awesome. um, it, it, you said the word, though, that I'll have to keep myself in check on. You said brief. Okay. So Oxford House <laughs> is, <laughs> Oxford House is a... Uh, democratically ran, fully self-supporting home for recovery, right? Um, The beautiful thing about it is it's not a halfway house. It's not a three-quarter way house. There is no staff. What we say is it's a place where the inmates run the asylum, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was founded in Silver Springs, Maryland in 1975 by a gentleman named Paul Malloy, right? His halfway house was closing down. And him and the guys were sitting there going, guys, what are we going to do? And so they, uh, they talked to an investor that purchased the house and then they just rented the house from them, right? Cool. And then it worked out so well that they had a set of uh, weekly expenses that they all agreed to pay, equal expenses shared. And they just pulled their money together, paid their rent, and then ended up buying uh, the cable packages that they needed or the, the phone bill. And they're like, started even setting aside some savings. And then the next thing you know, they opened another one. And then another one. And here we are, 2021, and we have 3,800 Oxford houses in the United States of America. Wow. It's uh, one of the few recovery housing 
programs that is labeled as best practices by SAMHSA. And uh, there is, it's an amazing program. And it's uh, because of the fact that the first tradition of Oxford House is um, to give the addict and alcoholic who wants to stop using and stay stopped a, a place to go. Mm-hmm. That's the first tradition, right? And there are a lot of uh, uh, standards that you have to follow. Um, but at the same time, you don't have a case manager telling you about it. Mm-hmm. You have your peers. Yeah. And for me, that was the missing link. I was more afraid to disappoint them mm-hmm. than I was a person in authority. I'm used to that. I'd been mm-hmm. doing that since I was a kid. But when it came down to my peers and other people who were going through the same thing as me, it added a newfound sense of responsibility that I had never had before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I There's so many things that can lead to um, adults that or, and kids all ages where authority is not the end all. Um, so many, and I, I think learning about it is so interesting, whether it's something parenting or different, just different structures that can lead to that. Um, and so that peer to peer relationship is so cool and so necessary. Totally. I, I came in and Janelle shared with me that there was this great video where you were doing, uh, and now I hear it's a three part video. And one of the things in the video, and we'll have to be, probably put that in our show notes, uh, was talking about an uh, anti-stigma campaign. And one of the things that really resonates with me with where we were talking about your peers and talking about not wanting to disappoint, but also thinking about others that really want to make a difference and how they can make that difference, but not um, maybe do, you know, those unintentional ways that people sometimes will make a statement or create a campaign or maybe say something. Um, can you tell us kind of a little bit about like those those three types of stigmas and how we can avoid that and be really positive in the way that we're, um, everyone's coming to the table and everyone's making an a, a impact? Totally. And I think it's important to note that the last, um, um, the direction that we've all been heading has been leading us to be more sensitive, right? We've been trying to learn more about um, being more culturally sensitive, right? And being respectful and being humble. And so the same is true with um, when we talk about other uh, things as well with this subject matter, for instance, um, mental health. But like we're talking about with substance misuse, right? So first of all, I want to tell you that that whole anti-stigma campaign was a project um, initiated by the what used to be known as the Reno County Drug Impact Task Force, but which is now the Reno Recovery Collaborative, right? So we changed that name. Part of the changing of that name was, remember my first reaction mm-hmm. to the Drug Impact Task Force? Mm-hmm. I was afraid. So obviously there was something with that language that had a stigma to it. It it was triggering to some. It made them think about, it made some people maybe thinking about getting arrested Mm -hmm. or seeing a loved one get arrested or other forms of uh, traumatic experiences. So Mm -hmm. we changed the collaborative's name to the Reno Recovery Collaborative to be inclusive to the community because we all can be in recovery of some sorts, right? 
and recovery means to just get better. We all want to get better. We're all on various journeys of getting better, right? So we were like, let's do an anti-stigma campaign. So for us to do an anti-stigma campaign effectively, we wanted to talk about the different types of stigma because there are different types. There's the type of stigma that, for instance, I have a tendency to um, do even with myself, right? Particularly when I was actively in my time of um, using substances, right? So that's called self-stigma. That's where I tell myself that I am worthless. And this is just how it is, right? You're, you're nothing. Um, you're just a junkie, right? This can also happen to us because of being told that by other people, right? Because then when we hear that over and over or we tell ourselves that over and over, um, it becomes something that we don't only hear or view ourselves as when we're using those substances. We see ourselves as that all the time. And then therefore, our sense of worth is diminished and we lose a sense of purpose. We don't see ourselves as an employee. We just see ourselves as this addict or a junkie. And sorry if these words are triggering. I know that I'm using those, but I am speaking uh, is giving these as an example. So I know that some of these can be triggering. I apologize, but I hope everyone can realize that this is because I'm trying to make this uh, particular point. Also, I'm speaking from my personal experience of how I felt about myself at that time. So I hope that we were able to take into context this, um, this subject matter. So that's the self-stigma, right? Um, we talked about that in that video with a couple of examples uh, of individuals that are now in recovery, right? Um, then we went to a social stigma. What would that look like? What would social stigma be like? Ah, ooh, this is interesting. So what about those people in the video, the mother who had a son who was using substances and she didn't want to tell his story for fear of stigma. She, she, she couldn't go to work and say, my son is dealing with this. Who can relate to me? Where is she supposed to go for support? Social stigma. And not to mention the other lady that talked about her experience, whose who's a person she was in a relationship with, fell into those um, the, the substance misuse. And her children that they had together, right? And I think it's important to note that they had feelings of despair. They had feelings of anger. But did you notice that they didn't even talk about that in their experience? Wasn't that, wasn't that amazing, right? So they did such an important part in the relaying of their experience to show that social stigma affected them, but still 
It was really affecting the person still using. And they are now doing what they can to give family members support by being able to talk about it, right? But also letting people see that this is still a chronic, treatable illness, right? And even though they had those feelings, the mother's the mother's comment in that story was so powerful about how she still wanted her daughters to be able to see their dad, right? Because he's still a father. What a powerful, powerful message right there. You know, he's still a father. And then we have structural stigma. And this is one of my favorites because I, I sit there and I think about structure and I think of a, of a well-built building, right? It starts with the foundation and then you get the frames and you get the trusses and you get the walls and it's just a, it's a structure. So I, 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 I think about that with structural stigma and I'm like, oh, wow. Stigma can be built into our very foundations. How so? That's where we look at some of the laws, policies, and the ways that we deal with substance use, right? This is a hot topic right now. It has been for a while. But it's becoming more and more prevalent. Why? Because people are not able to get treatment. Too many times, people that are suffering from this chronic, treatable behavioral health issue are not able to get the help that they need. In fact, many times they're incarcerated, right? Or they're told that their condition doesn't meet the requirement for treatment. Like, oh, it's, it's, that's interesting to note that you've been smoking meth for the last eight months straight. Sorry, though, you can't get into treatment because you haven't been uh, using it intravenously. Don't check enough boxes. <laughs> right. So what message are we sending? What message does that st- send? It's, it's, it's just, it's too bad, right? So that's an example of so, uh, structural stigma. So we had the self, social, and structural um, uh, as far as the, the stigma. And I feel like what we did in that first one was just uh, open it up, you know what I mean, to make the community aware. What we did is we had a word cloud, right? People were able to, um, say, what words come up when you think of substance use, right? And we had all the words, right? But at the end, after people heard those stories, it changed drastically. Seth, I have to say that when I looked at the, when I first started watching and I saw those words behind, um, I had very different emotions, very different feelings when I was looking at them at the end. Mm-hmm. Very much, you know, some of the words, I don't want to say triggered, but they were more, brought up more negative connotation yeah, totally. and maybe a little more sadness. Um, but as listening and as really 
in this very safe place. I, I wish I had said this when we were talking about um, the videos, uh, the community conversations with Reno County um, Recovery Collaborative. You said this, and this is really, um, really resonated with me. And, and Janelle captured it too. It's like stigma dies when we create safe places for people to talk about their experiences. Listening to those experiences in that environment, those words took on different meanings to me. Um, not as, I don't want to say scary, but not as painful. Right. Right. And that's, isn't that the goal? You know what I mean? It's like, um, there's so much that has gone on in the last couple of years, right? Um, it's time for us to, uh, to continue, you know, we carry that work out, that hard work, that inner work, right. Um, that would associate with being all bubbly and, and fun, but it's not that hard inner work that we all personally do on a, on a, on a level that we don't really talk about. Um, that's the stuff that sometimes leaves us crying or we're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I have so many feelings, yeah. right? But that's that important work. And same is true with stigma. And the thing is, it's like, I think it's important for us to know that um, no one's perfect, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're still going to say things sometimes and maybe use a language that we don't mean to because it's a habit, right? Right. But the key is, and why we also hold these conversations, is so that we as communities can hold each other accountable to changing it, right? We want to say, oh, man, I slipped up and said that, but I'm going to try to do better next time. Mm -hmm. So we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace, too. Yeah. But at the same time, as long as we're continually committed to moving forward, Mm -hmm. is, is that important thing? Uh, now, Seth, you don't strike me as somebody who keeps up with the latest uh, Bachelor or Bachelorette seasons. Um, <laughs> me either, Seth. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'll admit my uh, guilty pleasure. Um, last, I think it was a year ago or something, um, a contestant on The Bachelorette um, was very open sharing his own story of recovery and him, and he used. Um, I, I believe he works in recovery um, as well. And he shared about his story. And just when I was watching it, you know, like, it's my guilty pleasure that I watch to forget about like work stuff. But then I was like, Oh, my God, this is so cool. Because he was using um, like, person first language and just everything. And this is on like, you know, ABC. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Um, so, and not that I expect you to go back and watch, but just to, just to share that, 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 um, you know, I think was a year ago and I just thought that's so cool. And probably, you know, five, 10 years ago may not have been the case of being that part being aired. Right. It shows how far we've come. Right. Yeah. And, and that's because a few in the past had the courage Mm-hmm. to say it you know what i mean and, and i think it was it used it's kind of like we used to like pride ourselves in the whole like uh uh sex drugs and rock and roll right <laughs> yeah that used to be the the party mantra right mm-hmm. um but a few of those guys that nearly died um were very vocal about like hey man i had to i had to get sober mm-hmm. you know and i think that was like a big I think that was a big uh, 
change in the movement of how it was discussed because they're like, oh, dang, if so-and-so from this big hair metal band could get clean or sober or whatever you want to call it, that's a, that's a, that's important. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it gives people uh, the courage to talk about their own struggles. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another, you referenced this a little bit when you were talking about self-stigma and the language that um, you use. Um, Can you share maybe some alternative ways to talk about people in recovery or struggling with substance abuse or misuse? Of course. So um, I think it's important to note that this is where you'll get a lot of differing opinions. Okay. Um, Especially with um, sometimes people in recovery, right? Um, So like for for me, um, when I'm in a public setting where I'm not around my peers, I will introduce myself the way I did to you guys or when I'm doing public speaking. Uh, My name is Seth. I'm a person in long-term recovery. now, if I'm in an anonymous support group meeting with my peers, mm-hmm. um, I might choose to introduce myself as an addict. Okay. Right? But that's my choice mm-hmm. because that's me. And I'm with people in there who also identify as that, and they have earned the right to call me that mm-hmm. because they have the same struggle, right? So nothing about us without us, yep. the mentality, right? So that's something that we share in that bond. Now, I don't want my boss coming up to me and calling me an addict at work. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I would rather it be the medical approach of a person in recovery. See, when we call someone an addict or something like that, um, we're not focusing on the fact that it's a medical problem. That's a medical issue, right? So person in recovery or just straight up person who uses drugs, person who uses substances, it's more of a medical issue and more matter of fact, right? Mm-hmm. It's person first. Um, and we can always ask the individual what if, if we're dealing with someone in a, in a workplace or in a, in, a, in, in a different setting, we can just ask. That's the coolest thing about it. Yeah. Empower them to to tell you what they want to be called, yeah, right? And um, another one, I just used it a minute ago too when I was talking. I, I, I said clean, mm. right? Um, so for instance, a lot of times we say that when we're talking about uh, UAs and if they are false or if they're negative or uh, positive, right? The reason we would potentially shy away from using dirty or clean is we would therefore be implying that the individual is dirty or unclean. Mm-hmm. And they're not. Mm-hmm. They're, they're worthy all the time, even if they're using substances. Right? Substances are just a symptom of the disease. What about um, sober, using the term sober? Um, you know, and... That's one of those things right there that uh, I myself come from a, a fellowship that doesn't use the term sober. Okay. Right. Um, but I also feel that um, uh, it, for me, 
I choose to just refer to individuals as people in recovery unless I'm mm-hmm. told otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or or straight up a person who uses substances. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the sober one though, I mean, I I shy away from clean, sober, mm-hmm. um, just because I want to keep it as medical as I can. Mm-hmm. And uh, not to mention that way, if a person feels more comfortable eventually letting me know what, what I could refer to it as, then, then that's up to them. Yeah. The main thing is empowering the individual. Yeah. Right? I think that's the, the, the main focus right there. Yeah. I think um, that, that popped into my head because that is how um, we referred to my grandpa's recovery um, when he was alive. However, referred to, uh, I say, also recognizing that it also wasn't talked about, which is a whole other, you know, social stigma right. of uh, recovery and you know, did not talk about it. Um, and when it is still brought up with certain in certain family settings, it is, well, he didn't really have a problem. He just got arrested and had to go to AA. You know, that type of yep. um, social stigma. <laughs> so, Isn't that interesting, yeah. though? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. How yes. it's still hung on to in, in, in some of those, um, especially familial settings. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Seth, in our past episodes, we've talked a lot about, you know, the importance of changing behaviors after learning new information. And my absolute favorite quote, and Janelle's heard me say this a million times, is, would you know better, do better? Uh, you know, someone much more important than me said it, but I, I have it written literally all over in my calendar because I, uh, I feel like lots of times we will learn things and we have intentions to do better but we don't always. Um, But I really think that continually learning and um, making those strives to do better that, you know, can create those, those safer places or places where people feel safe. Cause I mean, I've gone to places and I think, Oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to, I feel really comfortable sharing. Um, But then my neighbor doesn't, you know? And so again, you know, that knowing better, do better. Do you have any other um, any other things that or uh, or crafting of war- messages or anything that we haven't captured or shared? Because I want to continue to learn so that I can do better. So, I think you you might have heard it said in that first one. Our three main words that we used to um, summarize our goals was to educate, to empower and to engage, right? So going along that that's a that's a three word simple like ooh yeah, let's go out and make stuff happen, right? That I don't I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it makes me want to do something. I mean, regardless of the context of what subject matter is, I'm just like, "Ooh, yeah, empower, engage, let's go out and tell people about this." Now, what are we telling them about, right? So how much more powerful is that when we do give them, give our communities and our partners something to tell our community, right? So that's why this education about this types of stigma, for instance, let's take that just as as an example. That was eye-opening even to myself. 
doing the research on that, I'm just sitting there going, oh my goodness, I can do so much better. Here we go. You know, time to hold myself accountable. But once I made that commitment and once I learned those things and could relate it to to instances within my own community, I felt this sense of, oh wait, the second E, empowerment. I'm like, I have the power to change something, not just within myself, but within my community. Even if no one listens, right? Because the best investment you can ever make is the investment to yourself, right? And I know for myself, that's the important thing, right? But usually, your peers will see it too. Your community will see it. They'll see you changing your language. And then sometimes without you even saying it, they'll start changing it as well. But see, that's not the that's not the point. We don't we are not content with that slow, oh, maybe, maybe they'll pick up on it, maybe they won't. See, we're not content with that. See, here in Reno County, we had a goal. We were gonna get people hyped about this information that we're hyped about. We're gonna empower them to see how much this can change people's lives because that's the thing. It's not just changing the way we talk. We're changing how people see themselves and we're changing about changing how people in our community see the other people, right? Then it leads to engagement. That's when all of a sudden people are like, not only am I wanting to help people be destigmatized, I want to get involved in changing the very structure that is making up policies. We need to give people a better chance. We need to stop having boxes. People do not fit in boxes. That's the bottom line. Take away the boxes of if they use substances or if they're felons. These are people, right? There are so many things that we have in place that only further stigma. But when we have these conversations as a community, we come up with ways that we can fight that and therefore empower our community to make the change by civic and social engagement. And and that's the that's the key. Sorry, I kind of went off and I don't even remember the original question. No, you, you answered it. You answered it. You're good. <laughs> yeah, you answered it. I said, okay, we want to know better. How do we do better? Oh, yeah. You just you did. Told you told well, us. Check this out. But check yeah. this out. Another quote that I love. This is John C. Maxwell, right? He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm, yeah. Right? Mm. So that's a way for us to show people how much we care. And then guess what? That's when people start to listen to us. And that's when we can effectively lead within our communities. Definitely. Um, I, we can tell how much you care, Seth. It is in everything that you're sharing. And we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, oh very you. much. Yeah. I've learned a lot. A lot. Mm-hmm. I, know, I know better now. Ah. <laughs> All right. Well, we could sit here and talk for quite a while. Um, and we will link all the YouTube videos in the end um, in the show notes so people can go and learn more. 
and find out um, what else you have to share and from learn from other people in Reno as well. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Seth, for sharing so much. And I, I look forward yep. to a lot of people in the state and maybe even outside of the state to learn from you too. Oh, hopefully, hopefully we're, we're making a whole scene around here about this. <laughs> so we're going to take it. We're going to take it nationwide, baby. No. There you go. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Thank you guys so much. Yep, thank thank you. you. This month's Coalition Spotlight, I'm sharing with our listeners the Coalition Central Kansas Partnership located in Barton County. Their vision is the partnership envisions healthy, caring communities. Their mission is to join in a common effort to build healthy and safe communities, reducing the risk of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, and promote healthy attitudes and behaviors. I also got to visit with them in great detail about their history and was really fun. I'm very fond of the partnership because back back in 1991, I actually worked with them. In 91, the coalition began in Barton County with the, the leadership of LEAD, Leadership Education Action Against Drug Use. In 1994, they were able to secure a chronic disease risk reduction funding and was rewarded the CDRR coalition-funded grant. Then in 2003, LEAD and CDRR coalitions merged and to become the Barton County Partnership. In 2008, Barton County Children and Families Coalition joined the Barton County Partnership. Then two years later, the Healthy Community Coalitions joined Barton County Partnership to more effectively serve the five-county area of Barton, Rush, Pawnee, Rice, and Stafford. They basically combined all their efforts and are now able to serve all those counties. The coalition adopted its vision, mission, and its new name, that of Central Kansas Partnership. Over the years, Central Kansas Partnership has evolved and grew into to encompass a broad range of work defined as needs in the community. And through the development of multiple task force that addressed individual or multiple prevention issues. Currently, there are six extremely active task force. There is Rise Up Central Kansas, Alcohol and Drug Prevention Intervention and Resiliency, Be Well Barton County, Central Kansas Breastfeeding Coalition, the Chronic Disease Risk Reduction Workgroup, and the Human Trafficking Prevention and Suicide Prevention Workgroup. In 2017, Central Kansas Partnership sought and received nonprofit incorporated status and is now formally Central Kansas Partnership, Inc. The Central Kansas Partnership website was developed and the partnership and task force social media platforms are being highlighted and promoted through their website, which is www.ckpartnership.org. When I asked the partnership what they were most proud of, What was shared is as far as what the coalition is most proud of, it was so difficult for them to say since there's so many great things going on in the community. However, I was able to get them to narrow it down to just a few. The social media presence has really taken off. They've set themselves with a task of striving to be 5% better each quarter through their intentional messaging and having a community committee to discuss and prepare the messages, and they've definitely seen an increase in this achievement. They have a youth group, the Youth Crew, which is the same name as the CK Youth Group and has created a one-pager to promote and to incorporate into the actions of what is going on within the task force as a whole. And they're really trying to engage all the youth within their community. They've had a super busy summer with 12 youth attending their June meeting, 17 youth attending their August meeting, 
And they really look to have a lot of activity within the community. And one of the things that they wanted to really do is have a service project and a community service project within Barton County before school started. They volunteered to clean up the trash at the zoo. I've included in the show, the, the show notes a link to the Great Bend Tribune news story that highlights the youth activities, and the link will be included there. The coalition's final thought that they shared with me was, the beauty, as always, is to have a connected coalition to alleviate silos within our community and the important work that we want to accomplish. To learn more about the Coalition Spotlight and the Central Kansas Partnership of Barton County, please go to the KPC website at kansasprevencioncollaborative.org. Thank you for listening this month. We hope you found it to be a good use of your time and energy. We are always looking for other good topics for discussion. If you'd like to be a part of our podcast or know of a good topic you'd like to listen to, hit us up at kpcteam at wichita.edu. From myself and the rest of the Prevention Talks team, thank you for the incredible work you do for our state. Thanks for building up your community, problem-solving compassionately, and pouring the best of yourself into everything you do. Be kind to each other and be kind to yourself.